We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. A reading from Luke 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. He will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything, because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Let's take just a moment to pray together. You can go ahead and take your seats. Let me pray for us. Father, some of us, we, uh, we, we pray these prayers, we sing these songs, and there's just a, a deep sense of joy in our life, a deep sense of your nearness and your presence. And for others of us, we, uh, we, we sing these songs and pray these prayers, and it just feels like you are so far away from us right now, so detached from our lives. And some of us sing these songs, and these words are just strange to us. We, we don't really know what, what we're actually singing about, what all of this means, what what it does actually mean to believe in Jesus. Um, God, you see all of us this morning in our own individual stories and the complexities of our own lives and our, our own unique joys and sorrows and wins and losses. Um, you know all of it. The good, the bad, the ugly. And your response to us is to never move away from us in frustration or disappointment or even disgust, but to always move towards us in love and mercy and kindness. And so we pray that you would do that once again now as we come to your word. We don't, we don't need to hear from me this morning. We don't need human words or human wisdom. We don't just need some words of inspiration to kind of lift our spirits. We need words from heaven. We need words from you. We need you to speak into our lives this morning in a way that only you can do. And so we pray that you would do that. 
through your word and by your spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Let me welcome you once again. Uh, before, we, before we jump in today's sermon, just a very quick word on kind of our, our COVID update. Um, I said this last week that from the very beginning, our approach to this whole thing has been we're just following our kind of local and state guidelines. Whatever they say churches can do and can't do is what we're going to do and not do. And there's actually some really good news around that because on Tuesday of this week, if you haven't been paying attention, things are going to kind of change in our state and in our county. And that actually has some real uh, significant implications for us as a church. So beginning next Sunday, a couple important just reminders here. You do not have to register to come to church. You don't need a ticket to get into the building, okay? Everyone is welcome. There's no seating capacity. So when you walk in, no one's going to be kind of helping you find your seat uh, or, or making sure that we're kind of trying to socially distance as best we can. Um, and if you've, been, if you've been fully vaccinated, masks are not required. So we're going to get to see some faces in this room next week. And I want to say a couple things about this. Is that number one, if you have not, if you haven't been fully vaccinated yet, we are trusting that you're going to wear a mask in this place. Um, number two, uh, if you are not yet comfortable with being around people who are unmasked or sitting close to people, um, then we're going to reserve this entire section over here for you. So we're going to, what, what we realize is that people are in lots of different places on this issue, and we're kind of in this transition stage, and we're going to be a church that makes room for everybody. We're not going to draw lines around this stuff. We're not going to point fingers at one another. We're actually going to be a group of people who love one another and who are making room for each other, kind of no matter where we are on this COVID spectrum. All right, so big update there. So Excited about next week. Now, we're in a series. Uh, we've been in a series. We've been looking at the parables of Jesus. Parables is just another word for stories. And uh, this morning, uh, we come to this parable on prayer. And I just want to start off and be very honest with you this morning. Uh, I, I have a hard time with sermons on prayer. And the reason I have a hard time with sermons on prayer is because I struggle with prayer. And some of you are like, wait a minute, you're like a professional religious person. Like, that's what you do, you know? That's what you get paid to do. Well, I'm not doing a very good job of it. I'm sorry to tell you. Uh, pastors struggle with prayer. I have gone days without praying. And I don't, you know, say that to be proud. I just say it to say, hey, you're, this is one human talking to a bunch of other humans this morning. Um, and my perception is that you struggle with it, too. Uh, in, in, I've been a pastor for almost 15, a little over 15 years. I don't think I've ever had anyone say to me, I'm just, you know what I'm crushing right now? Prayer. Just killing it. Can't get enough of it. Can't stop. No, we struggle with it. And we struggle with it for lots of different reasons. Uh, maybe you struggle to understand why prayer, prayer matters at all. I mean, what is, what's the point of praying? What is the point of praying if God is in control of everything, what difference does prayer really make? Or maybe you struggle to do it because the second it comes up, you just feel guilty about how much you haven't been doing it. Or maybe you struggle to know how to do it. You kind of don't even know where to start. Well, if, if that's where you are this morning, this passage is good news for you. Look at verse 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. 
When you read the Gospels, Jesus prayed a lot. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And I just love that this made it into Luke's Gospel, this request. Because these disciples, you know, they have been following Jesus. These are the people that Jesus hand-selected for his mission in the world. And they've been with him for over two years at this point. They're his closest friends. They know him better than anyone else knows him. And yet, they still don't know how to pray. They are still struggling to pray. See, and if you struggle, you are not alone. You're actually in good company. And that's why Jesus tells us in this text, he gives us both a parable on uh, on prayer and a model for prayer. A parable and a model. The the parable is in verses 5 through 13. The model is in verses 1 through 4. And we're going to start, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to start with the parable, and then we're going to look at the model. And here's why. Because this parable, it has one main point. One main point. It has one main teaching. And that, that teaching is actually what It's how you understand everything that Jesus is talking about in this model. And it shapes all the ways that you do prayer in your own life. All right, so first, the the, the parable and the model. Now, before we jump into this, I want to say a quick word, because uh, some of you are here this morning, and you're not Christian, and maybe you don't even consider yourself that particularly uh, religious, and so you're, you're hearing, oh, this is a sermon on prayer. That doesn't really pertain to me. Um, but would you just consider this, that you're already doing this? You're, you're already doing this. Our instinct in times of stress, in times of crisis, in times of tragedy, it's to cry out. And what I want to suggest to you is, what if the reason for that is because someone is actually listening to you? What if the reason for that is because someone made you and they want to be in relationship with you? You know, that's, that's what Christianity is. Christianity is not just about having certain beliefs about God. No, Christianity is about having a relationship with God. And any healthy relationship requires good communication. That's what prayer is. Prayer is simply learning how to talk with God. And so if you're here this morning and you're seeking and you're exploring, we're so glad that you're here and one of my hopes for you this morning is this, this kind of begins to fill in some of the gaps for you on what, how prayer actually fits into this whole Christianity thing. All right, so first, the parable. Uh, Jesus tells a story in verse 5, and it's kind of a strange one. It's a story about a man who is he's, he's asleep in his house in the middle of the night when he gets a knock on his door, and it's his neighbor. And his neighbor has shown up at his house because someone has come to his house. He's had a visitor show up. And he has no bread to feed him. And so he's, he's looking for bread. And what does, what does the man who is asleep in the bed say? I mean, literally he says, leave me alone. The door is locked. And then I love this line. He says, my children are with me in bed. In other words, if I get up, it's going to wake them up. And if you, if you have young kids, you know like parenting 101 is... You never wake up a child, and you hate anyone who does. Like, do not wake up my child. That is not cool. I'm not getting out of bed for you. Leave me alone. The door is locked. 
This, this guy who is sleeping in this bed is pretty annoyed with this request. And, you know, I think some of us think that that's what God is like. <laughs> you know, is, is Jesus saying that God is like this man sleeping in this bed? I mean, he starts telling a story about prayer. Is God irritable? Is God grouchy? Is God annoyed by our request? Does God not want to be bothered with our needs? And I know that none of us would, would say that out loud, but would you just think for a moment about your own prayer life? I mean, have you ever said or have you ever thought that's too small of a thing to pray about? God doesn't really care about that. God has much more important things going on in the world than to be concerned about the details of my life. Friends, there is no detail of your life that God does not care about. No detail. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says God is so attuned to your life that he knows the number of hairs on your head. Psalm 56 says that, listen to this, God sees every tear that you've ever cried and he keeps a record of it. Psalm, 154, Psalm 147 says that God, he counts the stars and he knows each of them by name. God is a God of details. Nothing in your life escapes his notice, his care, or his attention, and therefore that means nothing in your life is too small to pray about. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, in every situation, present your request to God. The Bible doesn't say in some situations. In the big situations. In the important situations, it says, in every situation, pray. So the main point, the main teaching of this parable, it is not God is like this man in this bed. So what is it? Well, some would say, here's the point, here's the main teaching. It's not that God is like this man in this bed, it's that we are to be like this man who's knocking on the door. Verse 8 is an interesting one. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. Now, if you, maybe you brought a Bible with you today, go home, you can look this up later today. Most translations, when you read verse 8, they say something like this. They say, because of his boldness, instead of impudence, they, they use words like boldness or persistence. Because of his boldness, because of his persistence, the man will give up and get him what he needs. And so people would say, well, okay, yeah, here's what Jesus is saying. The main point, the main teaching is that just like this man won't stop knocking and seeking and asking, that's how we're supposed to pray. We're supposed to pray with boldness. We're supposed to pray with persistence. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. And guess what? The Bible actually says all of those things. It says pray all of those ways. Pray with boldness. That's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us approach God with confidence. It talks about praying with persistence. In Luke 18, Jesus tells another parable, and it's about this widow who goes before a judge with her request. She's been, treat, she's been treated unjustly. And, and then it says this, Jesus told them this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. We're to pray with persistence. I will tell you, 
This is actually amazing. I, I'm, someday I'm going to get to tell this story here. But last year, God answered a prayer that I'd been praying for 15 years. I have never prayed for something so hard and so long in my life. And I didn't think God was ever going to do it. And he did it. It was amazing. Pray with persistence. It, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. That's literally 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17. Now listen, all of these things are good. The Bible says do all of these things, pray in all of these ways. All of these things are good, but none of them are the main point of this parable. So what is? The word impudence, which I was going to pronounce impudence until my wife said this morning, that's not how you say that word. So she saved me, but now you know the truth and I'm kind of an idiot. Um, the word impudence, Eunice, you got it right in the reading. Good job. So the word impudence, it literally means, get this, it literally means shamelessness. So, so look again at verse 8. I tell you, Though he will not get up, it's talking about the man in the bed, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his shamelessness, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. It's referring to the guy in the bed, not the guy knocking at the door. And this is actually hard for us to understand today because we don't do hospitality well, but in the first century... If somebody showed up at your door, no matter what hour it was, you were expected to give them what they need or else it would bring great dishonor and shame on you and on your whole family. And, and see, this is actually a very unique parable because almost all the parables that Jesus tells, they, they have a character that represents God. Remember last week we looked at the great banquet? A man who threw a great banquet. We talked about the kingdom of God and we said, God is like this incredible host who was throwing this amazing party and he is inviting you. Two weeks ago, we looked at the parable of the prodigal son where Jesus talks about this father, this running father. He runs out to his son and he welcomes him and he embraces him and this is what God is like. You are never too far off for God to love you. God sees you at your worst and he runs to you. Almost every parable that Jesus tells, it has a character that represents God, but not this one. Because in this parable, rather than comparing God to the guy in the bed, you know what Jesus is doing? He's contrasting God to the guy in the bed. Look at everything else that he says after he tells this parable. I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's what Jesus is saying. He is saying, listen, if a grumpy man who doesn't want to give to his neighbor and he has all sorts of excuses 
not to give to his neighbor. If he will get up and give to his neighbor whatever he needs, then can you imagine what it's like to come to a God who loves to give, who is generous? I mean, notice how much the word give shows up in these verses. I love this. The disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray. And then nine times, Jesus uses the word give. What Jesus wants you and I to understand is that deep, deep in the heart of God is the impulse to give. The guy in bed, he is reluctant to give. But guess what? God is the exact opposite. He is eager to give. And that's why you and I are invited to ask and to seek and to knock and to pray with boldness and to pray with persistence and to pray without ceasing. Let me ask you a question this morning. What would people think that you believe about God from the way that you pray? Would they think that you believe God is like this? Some of you are afraid to ask God for things. You don't think God is like this. You know, if someone were to base their understanding of what God is like from your prayers, would they conclude that God is reluctant to give or that he's eager to give? Martin Luther once put it this way. He said, prayer is not, it's not overcoming God's reluctance. He said, prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. The main point, the main teaching of this parable is that God loves to give to people who ask him. And you say, well, give what? Because I've asked God for a lot of things and he hasn't given them to me. Give what? Well, the answer to that is actually in the model this model of prayer that Jesus gives to us is called the Lord's Prayer. The longer version of it is in Matthew chapter 6. We say it or we sing it here every week at Resurrection Oakland. And what we see in this model is this, four gifts. Four gifts that God wants to give you every time you pray and four gifts that shape the way that you pray. So we're going to talk about what are the four gifts what are they and how do they shape the way that you pray? Well, first, here's the first one. Actually, let me just give them to you all up front. What are the four gifts? A deep assurance, a worthy priority, a settled trust, and a transformed life. Quickly, a deep assurance. Jesus says, when you pray, say this. Start, start with this. Father. Now that may not shock you, but it shocked the people who were listening. No first century Jew would even use God's name for fear of offending him. No one in the Old Testament addressed God as Father. No one. But you know what? Every time Jesus prays in the Gospels, you know what he calls God? Father. Over 175 times in the Gospels, when Jesus refers to God, he refers to him as Father. And for some of you, the idea of God as Father is hard. 
And it might be hard because you didn't have a dad. Or maybe you had a bad one. And I just want you to know, listen, if this is hard for you, I want to encourage you to just tell God that. Start there. God, this is what you tell me I'm supposed to call you. This kind of brings up a lot of baggage for me, a lot of pain, a lot of wounds. Tell God that. Let him begin to heal that wound. Because friends, in this one word, I mean, of all the words Jesus could have said, start like this. In this one word, Jesus is saying, prayer is meant to be an experience of radical assurance for you. Deep assurance. Listen, there are two ways to approach God. Two ways. You can either approach him as a father or as a boss. You can either come to him like a child or you can come to him like an employee. One comes knowing that they are loved and accepted and the other comes hoping that they're loved and accepted. One comes assured of their status and their place and their position and the other comes unsure. One comes resting in their place. The other comes thinking, I've got to work to get this. Do you come hoping or knowing? Do you come sure or unsure? Do you come feeling like you have to perform for God's love or do you come resting in God's love? My 19-year-old son, who is out of town for a while this summer, he texted me yesterday. And his text was, can I call you tonight? And my reply was, son, I literally, son, you can call me whenever. And then my next text was, what do you need? Because I've learned that 19-year-olds don't text their parents unless they need something. And you know what? I love that. He can come to me at any time and with any need. He can call me at any point. And you know, none of you can do that. I mean, you can do that, but I'm probably not going to pick up. You know, I love you, but I don't love you like I love him or any of my other kids. No one holds a place in my heart like they do. And Jesus is saying, come to God like that. Come to God as a father. Come to God knowing that you are a loved child. Come knowing that you have a special and secure place in God's heart. Will you just think with me for just a moment how radically this would change the way that you pray? I mean, number one, it would crush all of your guilt about not praying enough. You know why? Because you start to realize God is not out to make you feel bad. God is out to make you feel loved. And so rather than just feeling bad when you don't pray, you might actually start to miss God. And you might start to miss talking to God and being with God. And you might start to pray not because you feel like you have to or you're supposed to, but because you want to. It would crush all of our guilt. Here's the second thing. Think about how much more free you would be in your prayers. So often we get caught up in this Am I saying it just right? Am I doing it just right? Am I using the right words? And this is why whenever you like pray or with other people, you kind of freak out inside. You ever had that feeling? Why do we do that? You know, 
No child does that with a parent. Kids don't come up to you and say, let me, let me think about how to say this right. Let me think about how to say this well. They don't analyze their words, they just talk. When you know God as a loving father, you stop worrying about getting it just right and you just start talking. You start praying. J.C. Ryle, he, he said it this way, he said, fear not because your prayer is stammering, your words feeble, and your language poor, Jesus can understand you. He can understand you. Such deep assurance. Here's the second gift, a worthy priority. Look at the next line in this prayer. We're just gonna kind of walk through this. Father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means, God, make your name special. Make it the most special name in all the earth. Make it special in my home. Make it special in my marriage. Make it special in my friendships. Make it special in my work. Make it special in my neighborhood. Make it special in my city. Father, hallowed be your name. Father, your kingdom come. Make things here, God, on earth like they are in heaven. Bring your goodness, bring your joy, bring your healing to this place. See, typically, our priority in prayer is a lot like our priority in life. You know what that is? Me, myself, and I. And so when we pray, we go right to our needs. And we make it all about us. And, and sometimes without even knowing it, you know what we're doing? We're actually saying, God, make my name special. And make, make my kingdom great. We, we are so caught up in our own self-advancement and self-promotion that sometimes we actually don't even realize it. And so we start to use prayer as a tool to get God on board with our mission in life and our kingdom rather than as a tool where God is actually getting us on board with his mission and his kingdom. Jesus totally shifts the priority. I mean, think about this for just a moment. If God were to answer every prayer you prayed from this last week, who would most benefit? Is it you? Or is it someone else? Jesus is saying, here's a new Priority. Before we just kind of launch into our grocery list of needs, he teaches us to pray that God's kingdom would come. He's giving us a new priority, which is his kingdom, not ours. And this is such a gift to you. You're like, gosh, you know, it, it, I, this is just making me feel guilty. Jesus is not trying to make you feel guilty. He is trying to give you a greater vision for life than just the horizons of your own, your own life. Is such a gift. Uh, John Ortberg, who's a, a Christian author and pastor, he, he wrote a book called All the Places You'll Go. And he said this, he said, Christians should always be asking each other a question. And the question is this, what's your problem? And what he means by that is this, he says, do you have a problem that is worthy of your best energies and worthy of your life? And he, he writes this, he says, tell me what your problem is and I'll tell you who you are. People with small souls have small problems. How to make their lives safer or more convenient. How to put an irritating neighbor in his or her place. I've got one of those. Not the one who's here this morning. I've got a neighbor here this morning. Not that neighbor. 
Not that one. She's my favorite, actually. God, God used the pandemic to bring two people together. I'll, it's a story for another day. Uh, people with small souls have small problems. How to make their lives safer and more convenient. How to put an irritating neighbor in his or her place. How to make wrinkles less visible. How to cope with cranky coworkers or lack of recognition. People who live with largeness of soul are occupied by large problems. How to end extreme poverty how to stop sex trafficking, how to help at-risk children receive a great education, how to bring beauty and art to a city. You need a God-sized problem. And if you don't have one, your current problem is you don't have a problem. When God calls people, he calls them to face a problem. The standard word for the condition of being truly problem-free is dead. See, if you want to be really alive, if you want largeness of soul, if you want to be caught up in a story that is bigger than just your own comfort and security and success, then you begin to pray that God's name would be honored and that his will would be done and that his kingdom would come. You know why? Because God's kingdom is actually dealing with the deepest, darkest, biggest problems in our world today. That's what God's kingdom is about. God's kingdom is about bringing healing and renewal to places, to people and to cities and to neighborhoods and to streets and to schools and to homes. And so when you begin to pray like that, your prayer life begins to take off. You start praying about children in need who don't have the same opportunity as everyone else. You start praying for broken marriages and broken homes and broken schools. You start praying for people who are trapped in addiction. You start praying for the poor and injustice. And you start praying that people would come to know the love of God for them. Now that is a worthy priority. It is calling us. Do you see this? God is inviting you out of your own small life into something much bigger and grander and lasting. It's a worthy priority. Number three, here's the third gift. A settled trust. Ne next line. Give us each day our daily bread. God, everything I have comes from you. You know what I need. You take care of me. You know what is best for me. Friends, this is not just about food. This is about everything. This is about every part of your life. It is about trusting and believing that the king of the universe has his hand on your life and that he withholds no good thing from those he loves. And maybe the question you're asking is, well, why hasn't God given me some of the good things that I've asked for? I mean, I've asked for a lot of good things and God hasn't given them to me. Doesn't Jesus say, ask and I'll give it to you? Yes. But he also says that God is a loving father who doesn't give his children snakes and scorpions. And sometimes that's actually what we're asking for and we don't even know it. 
You know, as, as, as a dad of three, I can tell you that sometimes kids, they ask for the worst things. I don't, one of my kids, when they were four, looked at my wife one time and said, Mommy, Daddy won't let me have the knife. Then my wife gave her the knife. Can you believe it? Not at all. But listen, kids, they ask for the worst things, and that's not just children. We kind of never grow out of that. Sometimes the things that we think we need are not what we really need, and the way that we think life should go is not really the way that it should go. Jesus is saying, here's what God is like. God is a wise, loving father who always, do, always does what he knows is best, not what his children think is best. And this is such good news for you and me this morning, because here's what it means. It means that Jesus will always give you either what you ask for or something infinitely better. One of the two. And I know some of you hear that, and you are in a season of deep pain and loss. There's a lot of suffering in our church right now. Some of you have lost friends and loved ones, family members. Some of you have you've prayed that God would take sickness away and he hasn't, or you've prayed that he would take mental illness away and he hasn't. Or you've prayed that he would restore your marriage and he hasn't. You've prayed that he would stop these terrible and sad things from happening, and God hasn't. And so you are looking for answers. And what I want to tell you this morning is, I don't have one for you. I don't know why God allows certain things to happen in your life and my life and the lives of people that we love. But here's what I do know. I do know that God loves you. And that whatever is happening in your life, God is up to something. And you say, well, how do you know that? You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before Jesus' death, when he was in his greatest hour of need, his greatest hour of suffering, you know what he prayed? Father, if there is any other way, take this cup from me. He prays it three times, which means he prays it with persistence, he prays it with boldness, and he prays it without ceasing. And you know what God says? No. Th think about that for just a moment. You, you think, God doesn't understand my life. Friends, Jesus, at the God the Son, the second person in the Godhead, asked God the Father for something, and he didn't get it. And the question is, why did God say no to Jesus? And the answer is, because he loves you. And he was up to something. He was up to the salvation of the world. Even in the cross, the most senseless act of injustice and violence and suffering that the world has known, God was at work, and he was working for your good and for my good. And if God can use Jesus' suffering, then he can use anyone's suffering. Think about the way that that would change the way that you pray. 
You know, Mother Teresa, she was once asked by a friend, pray for clarity. And you know what she said? She said, I no longer pray for clarity. I only pray that I would trust God. You see, here's what prayer actually starts to look like in times of suffering. It means that you can go to God and you can say, God, this is hard. I don't like this. I don't understand this. I wish that you would take this away. I wish that you would change these circumstances, but I trust you. Give me what I need to endure. Give me faith. Give me courage. Give me hope. Give me today what I need today, and tomorrow, give me what I need for tomorrow. Our, 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 our words of assurance this morning were from Lamentations. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Listen to this. His mercies, they are new every morning. God does not give you mercies for today that you need for tomorrow. He gives you what you need today for today. And tomorrow, He will meet you. And He will give you what you need there for whatever you are going through. I mean, what a gift this kind of settled trust can be to you. And to me, here's the last gift, a transformed life. Last line of the prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. Father, forgive me and help me to forgive others and lead me in your way. Change me. I mean, this is what Christians call renewal and repentance. See, when you hear Jesus say, ask me for anything, don't you think, anything? And Jesus says, Yes, really, ask me for anything. Imagine the greatest thing that you could ever have. Ask me for that. Don't hold back, and I'll give it to you. And we're like, but I have asked you for things, and you haven't given them to me. And Jesus says, ask me for the greatest thing that you could ever ask me for. Ask me for me. Ask me for the Holy Spirit. I mean, how often in our life we are asking Jesus, and we don't even realize it, for snakes. And you know what Jesus wants to give you? He wants to give you himself. He wants to give you his presence. He wants to give you his Holy Spirit. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit transforms you. The Holy Spirit wants to inject into your life love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, and self-control. Jesus is saying, you think you know what you need, but this is what you really need. You need the kind of love, and the kind of joy, and the kind of peace that will allow you to handle anything that life throws at you. And you need this kind of supernatural character change to actually become a glorious person. And Jesus is saying, I can give all of these things to you. Let me ask you a question. Do you pray for these things? It is so right and appropriate to take your needs to God. God invites you to do that. But you know what else God invites you to ask of him? To make you into a person who is filled with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Do you ask God to make you more loving? 
to make you more joyful, to make you more peaceful, to make you more generous. I mean, what incredible gifts our God wants to give to us. That is what prayer really is all about. A deep assurance, a worthy priority, a settled trust, a transformed life. I mean, let me ask you a question this morning. Do you know how to pray this way? And how much more would you pray if you understood prayer this way? That God is a loving Father who loves to give. You know, that is, that is the message of the gospel, and that's the message of this table, actually. Every time in the gospels when Jesus prays, he calls God Father. Every time. That's how he starts. Every time, except for one time on the cross. And rather than crying out, Father, he cried out, My God, my God. On the cross, what we see is Jesus losing his assurance, losing his place as God's loved child so that we could be brought in, so that Jesus could look at you and me and say, when you pray, say this, Father. Friends, this, this table it is the clearest expression to us that God loves to give, that he is eager to give you good things. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus, he took the bread. And after he had given thanks, he broke it. And then he said this, he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he blessed it, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood given for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, what what gifts we find at this table. Most especially, your son and the gift of his life and the gift of his death in our place. And the fact that he has thrown open wide the doors for us to be in relationship with you and to receive every good gift that you would desire to give us. Would you help us to believe that this morning as we come to this table, as we eat this bread and drink this cup? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.